how does your job, how does your career fit into your overall life vision? When you're 80 and look back on your life, what do you want to remember? What do you want to be proud of? What is going to make you smile? Welcome to The Change, where we share stories and inspiration from business leaders and people making positive work-life changes. I'm your host, Adam Baru. Today, we're going to revisit the topic of burnout, focusing this time on what it looks like and how it manifests itself. Did people suffer burnout 30, 40 years ago the way we experience burnout today? Is this great resignation trend reflecting more about us or more about our management? What exactly is different about the workforce today that is making burnout such a common occurrence. Our guest today, Audrey Zander, is a burnout and stress specialist who found her way through her own experiences with burnout and bore out. Hey, Audrey, welcome to The Change. Hey, Adam, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So I'm just gonna launch right into our episode here today with a powerful confession that I read on your website. And you stated, I'm proud of who I am and I love myself, which is a powerful statement coming from someone who at age 22 discovered she loathed herself and didn't know what happiness meant. So would you mind telling us a bit more about this time in your life and and growing up and why at age 22 you felt this way? Yes. All right. Let me go back there for a minute. Um, So the confession deep, deep down is my father is a narcissistic pervert. Mm. So this is something I've never said out loud on a podcast, but now that you ask it, the thing is, so narcissistic pervert means the egocentrism plus manipulation. Mm. So the pervert part means manipulative. And age 22, I realized that I had taken on quite a few traits of his. Mm. And I didn't really know about self-awareness then, but now in retrospect, I can observe and notice that that's what was happening. I was starting to wake up to who I was. Um, I had finished school. I was in college. I, my parents were separating. So I think there's a whole bunch of things that came up mm-hmm. and I started recognizing that there were things that I recognized in myself that I really, really did not like, really did not like. Yeah. And I, I call it, my, it's my quarter life crisis that started there. Mm, my yeah. quest to figure out who am I? And who am I when I'm not my dad, not my mom? And what? who am I when I'm happy? And that opened Pandora's box. It was this big unknown. I called it my demons that started descending upon me. Mm-hmm. I was 22 in college, family breaking up, exploding, and this whole realization that, shoot, when I look in the mirror, I really do not like who I am. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I... I in your 20s, especially early 20s, I remember for me that that was also a tough time. I mean, it's like when you make these discoveries about yourself and, you know, you're not really kind of like in this environment anymore where perhaps, you know, growing up with your family, you're somewhat sheltered, right? So there's just you on your own having to live with it yeah. and deal with it, right? Yeah. And I think until then, because the self-awareness, okay, it awakens, um, what is it, H, it, when you're a child, that's when you start realizing um, that people look at you and that that there's judgment and observations and that already shakes a bit of confidence. And then in teenage years, even more so. And then when, when I left home, I think the whole co- copy paste of our parents, because 
I think we do model off from what we see. And understanding, hold on, again, I didn't know this concept of values back then, but now I also realized I just wasn't matching. I didn't like who I was seeing and this whole self-awareness in those early ages is shaky. Yeah. It really, really rattles you. Yeah. And for me, I remember, you know, because you just don't know a lot when you're that age. You think that you do, <laughs> interestingly. You but you, you do. <laughs> yeah. But you just, but you don't. And, you know, as you get older, you kind of look back and you're like, okay. But yeah, I think for me, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, but, you know, there was a fear you know, am I going to turn out like my parents? Am I just going to be like them? Or am I going to, who, like, I didn't even know really who I was. Like I, you know, I hadn't really been around or experienced much enough to really understand who I was individually. You know, it takes time to flesh that out, but you know, what was that like for you? Is it kind of a similar, you know, thinking that with your father, the way he was, I mean, did you have, you know, it was a lot of your fear and self-loathing, you know, based on your own fear of thinking that you might turn out like him. Exactly. So I think I, my awareness also of how I showed up in the world and how I interacted with others was mold from mold, mold, molded. So <laughs> English is one of my languages. Let's just put that out so that if I say something incorrectly, people know why. Well, you do speak three. You, you confess that on your website. Three. So that's impressive. English, French, German. Yes. So I kind of copy pasted a lot of what I saw. And there were my mother, on the other hand, is amazing. She's this loving, very respectful, diplomatic, young, amazing woman. And so I thankfully took from both sides, but the sides for my father, which I think you do in a way copy paste until you grow in self-awareness and realize what do I want to keep? Who am I underneath all of this? And when I realized at the time, because they were breaking up as well, I didn't want to be either of them. Mm. And that then was like, but who am I? And the world, my world collapsed. Mm. And that, and I then was like, what makes me happy? And that made me so sad. I realized I don't know who I am. I don't know what it means for me to be happy. And it made me so sad. I thought, how am I asking myself this question for the first time in my life at age 22? I don't know if others do before that or after that or at all. But for me, it was wow, how am I asking myself this for the first time in my life now? Well, I didn't really ask that that deeply until I was probably 47, 48. So I don't know what's better to kind of, you know, gain that self-awareness when you're younger or gain it when you're older. So anyway, thank you so much for sharing and for, you know, your honesty and vulnerability. I'd like to read another quote, if I can, from your website. I burned out twice and bored out once. At the time, I knew to apply my communication skills for the organizations I worked for, less so for myself. My voice stayed stuck in my throat in the face of negotiation, conflict, speaking up, standing up for myself. I knew nothing about boundaries, had little understanding of the importance of my values. My confidence was shaky, my self-worth non-existent. I didn't know my overall life vision. I didn't know myself. I suffered in silence until it became too much to bear and resigned each time, taking months to recover. Now I know it doesn't have to be that way. So I have a two-part question I'd like to ask based on this quote. First, can you tell us about the two experiences of burnout as well as what you mean by bore out? And secondly, what led to the realization that your suffering and slow recovery doesn't have to be that way? 
Um, so the two bur burnouts. One, the official definition probably doesn't really classify it as burnout because burnout, the official definition, relates it, links it to work. Um, mine was health, was because of health, because I have a chronic uh, illness called endometriosis, which one out of ten women suffer from in the world. And it's still very much a taboo, and it's it's it can be very very difficult to live with, mm. to the point of depression, to the point of suicide. So mm. it's it's a it's really something important, mm. and I've struggled with it for decades. And there were better times, worse times, and in this um, instance, it was probably one of the worst phases I had, where I was in so much pain, popping codeine, taking painkillers. And I had just moved to Tahiti out of all places in, mm. in French Polynesia. And I was worried, I loved my job. I had landed a dream job working in the hotel industry, going on sales trips to Bora Bora out of all places. Wow. So it, wow. like life was amazing. And my health was such a struggle, so much pain that I was surviving. I was really in survival mode. My only thought was, I want to keep my job. I want to keep my job. I want to keep my job. So I would focus on work, put my energy into that. And then when I was done, go home and just sleep. Just try and, mm. try and forget about all the rest. Yeah. And that lasted for several months. And I think with that physical pain comes fatigue, exhaustion, self-doubt. Yes. Um, and when, when your nerves are just that physical pain at some point and you're, it's, Okay, I was surviving because there's no cure to this illness mm. either. You can just pop painkillers, get surgery, and but it, it comes back. And so at that and that's how it ended for me at the end. It's it was through surgery and then I mm -hmm. could recover physically and then focus on work again. So that was the first one. And I think that's quite an interesting angle as well, that burnout isn't necessarily the official definition only that it's only through work and workload. Right and leaders and micromanagement and 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 it can be because of other things because you're struggling at trying to balance personal life health other worries whilst wanting to keep your job doing well by your job and your managers and your employers it's just too much yeah that was huh. the first one okay and the second yeah the second one um so then i had a bore out which we'll come to afterwards and then i had a burnout again mm -hmm. And so the reason of the second one, again, now in retrospect, it was my last job in corporate, in the corporate world, which I already knew I didn't want to be part of anymore. I had known that for a while, but because of lack of a better idea, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a specific passion that I wanted to develop or dive into other, I didn't know what to do. Um, and I suppose we're going to get into this afterwards because I now know why I burned out. Basically, I didn't have the right reasons to be in that job anymore. I took it because I didn't have anything else to do. I was mm -hmm. worried about money. I was worried about the gaps in my CV. So I accepted another corporate job. And the symptoms were, it's the exhaustion. It's the no social life. It's no energy at the end of the day to even exercise because that's something that's super important to me. And I've always exercised. Um, I had moved to a new place, a new country, and a new city. I didn't have time or the energy to meet people. Um, and the exhaustion, the, the kind of worry all the time, oh no, please don't let my manager take, 
get me take um give me something more another mm-hmm. task another project very often so this was a micromanager the company culture was toxic they had been uh, through changes numerous times over the past three four five years and they were changing again so there was lacking of leadership of communication um, people didn't know when they were going to lose their job or not so it was already a toxic culture mm-hmm. and on top of that my micromanager and it was the, for me the biggest alarm bell I don't drink alcohol really mm-hmm. and I got to a point where I would go home and start drinking red wine not much but like a half glass or something to wind down right. and that was such a shock to me I was like, what on earth is going on this is not me yeah. But you're so exhausted that you don't know how to get out of it. And then the next day, it's like, all right, let's go again. Go again. It yeah. will stop at some point. You just don't know how. And you're just like, no, go again. Go again. Yeah, it's like being on a hamster it's wheel. Like, now go again. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what about the bore out? What, what do you mean by bore out? And describe what, what that experience was. So bore out is the other end of the spectrum. It's uh, you don't have enough to do at work. Mm-hmm. Or you're not stimulated intellectually by it. So it's when you're bored. You go to work and you're just dragging your feet because it's the it's you don't know how to get through the next eight, ten hours, or oh, yeah. however many it is, because you either have nothing to do or what you're doing is is so it's gotten boring. And um a lack of stimulation comes, which which then brings lack of confidence, of self-worth. Um, drain it, drained energy. So mm-hmm. it's very similar. The symptoms are very similar to burnout, maybe without the stress factor as much. But in terms of physical symptoms, being lethargic, weight gain or loss, no social life. So there again, I put on so much weight mm-hmm. within just three months because I was bored, because I was trying to make my lunch breaks longer and have huge lunches. Right. At the end of the day, I was so drained from sitting at my desk pretending that I was busy because there's that aspect as well. You don't always know how to bring it up or very seldomly how to bring it up, depending on how confident you are at that stage. And in in reality, my position, it was too early. They had hired me way too early on and there were power plays above me. So they were busy with their own ego plays. And I was pretending all day because I just didn't know what would happen if I spoke up. Would I lose my job? What would I do? I had moved to, again, a new country. Um, I had an expat contract. What would I do if I didn't have? So all these fears come in that you wear a figurative mask all day. And it's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting because you don't want people to realize what's going on. And then at the end of the day, again, no exercise, no social life. Because you've given your I had given all my energy to pretending. For 10, 12 hours. I can completely relate with that. Um, I've worked in government jobs three times. The first was actually, I really enjoyed it. It was working for the National Park Service here in the US and um, I got to spend my days hiking. So that was amazing. <laughs> um, but then, you know, when I launched into my IT career, I worked for two other government agencies. And, you know, I, I don't say this to be a knock on government jobs because, you know, for many people, it's a good fit. Um, I think specifically these two roles that I had, I don't think they needed me. I think there was like the budget was already approved to like have somebody in this role. 
but I had to really on my own create my own work. But I remember days I would sit at my desk and it would be a struggle to stay awake. There's only so many things you can research on Google. Right. Before you, you're out, well, all out of ideas to research in Google. And do, doing this um, really brings out the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. massively. I started having doubts on my capabilities, on what I could offer, because nobody wanted anything of what I could offer. So very quickly, I was shut up and shut down. And so it really starts messing with your head as well in terms of why am I here? Yeah. Are they not giving me stuff because they don't value me? They don't trust me? So you start really having this very negative internal conversation, right? which is destructive. Yeah. Okay. So I want to, um, you know, follow up on that same, um, set of questions I asked before the, the one part we didn't get to yet is that realization, um, that you're suffering and your slow recovery didn't have to be that way. So how long did you, you know, stick with these situations before you kind of had that awareness, like, you know, this isn't good for me. I've got to go a different direction. So by then I had already had, let's say, 12, 13 years since my realization or question, what does happiness mean to me? So thankfully, mm-hmm. I had evolved quite a bit until mm-hmm. then and learned about myself. And something I had learned because of my quest for happiness was if this is not fun for me every day, I'm out. And I had never had massive career ambitions or anything that so freedom was my huge number one value, freedom, mm-hmm. whatever that meant, geographical mm-hmm jobs, etc. Um, so I knew in both jobs, week one, that it, it wasn't for me, that this was not a good fit, that this was not a good idea. But the fear of the CV, like yeah. your resume, what are, what are you going to do with those gaps, and then money, etc. Um, so the first one, the bore out, the, well, the very first burnout, once my health improved, I st- stayed with the job, and I loved it. And it was amazing. The the bore out, I lasted three and a half months mm-hmm. because I cannot be bored. Life mm-hmm. is too short. That's something that I know about myself. If I'm not having fun, I'm out of here. And the money yeah. was amazing. I had an expat contract, it, but money for me wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I lasted three and a half months. I had put on so much weight. I was unhappy. Again, no social life. So I remember I had started in November And I was hoping to do at least the six months of the initial trial period where you can resign whenever you want. So this is, um, I think we had mentioned this last time as well. This was in in Dubai and in Europe. So the whole working environment and contracts are very different to the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was still flexibility in the first six months for me to leave whenever I wanted to. And I just thought, okay, let me do six months so I can rake in the money. And then I need to leave before that because otherwise I'm stuck. And when, once I want to resign, I have to stay for a few months. And that just felt like torture. Yeah. I didn't last the six months. New Year's Eve came about. And when I was reflecting on my life, like this is, I can't do this. This is not me. Life's too short. This is not okay. And mm-hmm. I resigned shortly after that. And it took me eight months eight months to find the courage and the energy and the motivation to go for another job. In the meantime, so it took me a few months of doing absolutely nothing um, to start wanting to get out again and, and create a social life and be curious about life again, because mm-hmm. it had just drained me so much. And I had done research about what, what alternative career paths could I possibly do? Didn't find any answers. So that's what I mean. Lack of other, of better ideas I signed up for yet again another job, and day one, I knew it was wrong. 
day one I walked in there, I was like, oh, I could just feel it. I think mm-hmm. because you, depending on who you are, you pick up on energies. Right. And it was not. So in both cases, what I discovered on day one was not what I had been sold. So I've definitely, yeah, I've been there and done that. Yeah. So I lasted eight months because of fear. Mm-hmm. I had already resigned the year prior. I had so struggled. I hadn't had to found any answers of what I wanted to do with my career and my life. And so I stayed, I stuck with it for eight months until I went on a holiday on a vacation. And it took me a week to enjoy the vacation out of 10 days because I was just so in my head and stomach knotted up and just so unhappy that I was oblivious to my surroundings, to the experience. I was in Israel and it mm-hmm. was it was a very, very important and amazing trip for me. Um, and it I was I just wasn't there. And I started emerging from it after six, seven days and had a meltdown at the airport when I had to take mm. my flight back. Oh. A meltdown. And realizing at this, I won't do this anymore. I can, but I won't. And I got home and I resigned the next day. Yeah. And as, as soon as I resigned, everything changed, everything shifted. But when I say it didn't have to be that way, it's because now through my new career, the coaching, which I finally found and finally found my passion. And it was a leap of faith because I didn't really know what I was getting into. Now mm-hmm. I know, had I known about my overall life vision, my values, um, my purpose, which is all things I learned through coaching and my boundaries, that all of that informed my boundaries. Had I known all of that, I would have understood how these jobs fit into my overall life vision. Rather right. than making it every all about work, I would have understood how can work work for me. Yeah. Rather than putting everything into it and not having any balance in the other areas of my life. Yeah. Do you think you would have that life vision without having had those experiences that you had? I wouldn't have the life vision without coaching. That's what I'd say. Yeah. I mean, looking back, yeah, looking back at, at, at these these jobs that you had, um, I mean, do you do you ever re- have regrets on that? Or do you look back and think, you know, I, I kind of needed those experiences to inform me and put me on my path? They... I don't think I needed them because from from early on, I knew corporate and I were not necessarily a good match, but it worked for me because I had a why. I had this bucket list. I wanted to live in all these amazing countries and work worked for me. So mm-hmm. I was able quite easily, to be very honest, because of my languages and it just worked. I found corporate gigs pretty easily wherever I moved to. Um, once I had ticked off my bucket list, everything crumbled. And the whole why of why I was still in corporate didn't make sense anymore because now I was in it only for the money. Yeah. And money is not what makes my world go round. And that's when everything crashed and collapsed because I, I the corporate values didn't align with mine. Um, and I was lacking a new life vision. Once I had ticked off the bucket list, I was about 35. I I didn't know why, what next. Mm-hmm. So going to work for the sake of work right. was no fun. Yeah, you you just led me into a perfect um, segue, which is you know I read on your on your website about your bucket list um, that you've described yourself as a bucket list achiever. So yeah, tell us tell us about this bucket list, if you will, and um, you know what what was on that list, what you learned, and you know during checking off the the bucket list goals, and then what you realized when you reached the end of that list. Well, when I reached it, that's when I burned out. <laughs> Because I had no life vision anymore, but it wasn't necessarily a list at the beginning. It was that quest for happiness. 
Mm. I made a vow to myself when I turned around that age, 22, when I realized how unhappy I was and I didn't know what it meant to be happy. My bucket list was I need to I want to find out what happiness means. And that Mm -hmm. means following my heart, following opportunities, following intuition. I was always a bit of a rebel in terms of not wanting the, to live a life on the trodden path. It, it, I always was a bit rebellious. I didn't want the high school, college, um, first job, mortgage, house. But I, yeah, I traditional. Yeah. Really, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't me. Um, so I set out to experience life, experience life, saying yes to things because I could saying yes to things because an opportunity came up. So uh, I was in the, in France at the time. I had an opportunity to go work in London, which was a dream. And the, the job didn't, wasn't, that was in investment banking. And I, I was not a good fit for investment banking, but I made it work. Mm-hmm. And then I started dreaming of, hey, I want to check out Australia. So I resigned, packed up my things, sold up my stuff and moved to Australia, to Sydney with no job, with mm-hmm. hardly any contacts. And then the same thing, once that was done, it was like, okay, what next? I had been dreaming of Tahiti ever since I had first been there in, 20, in 2002. And I was just like, all right, let me go on vacation and see if I can work things out. And so it, it was always gradual. And in all of these experiences, I started learning more and more about myself. I started... So I went to therapy for several stages of my life and yoga helped me. And I think just all these experiences helped me start afresh with every move, shedding mm-hmm. a few layers of skin that I no longer wanted. Yeah, It really helped me closing a chapter once I had learned stuff about myself. Okay. So it's a bit of escapism. And at the same time, it's a blank slate where I could redefine who am I again and mm-hmm. again and again. And living in these places were, and being just I mean, swimming with humpback whales in the South Pacific, wow, skydiving, um, just all these experiences, feeling alive, that's where I found happiness. That's where I started finding a life worth living, mm. where bit by bit, I started smiling. I remember turning about 30 and realizing I think I'm smiling every day, genuinely. Yes. For the first time in my life, it's not a mask. It's not pretend. It's I actually feel happy and happier and happier. And that was my learning: saying yes and trying things out, giving myself the opportunity to figure things out. And so, yeah. Once the so after Tahiti, that was like the cherry on the cake. Mm-hmm. What do you? Where, where, where do you go after that? Or where do I go after that? And nothing really appealed in the same way. It wasn't as attractive. So that's when I returned to Europe and went into these new corporate jobs for lack of a new another idea and mm-hmm. burned out, burned out, burned out because I corporate was no longer working for me. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you were you realized you weren't living y- your true self. You were, um, you know, somewhat just resigning to what you felt you needed to do in that moment to earn money or, you know kind of realizing later on that some of your decisions were based on fear 100 percent, and trying to fit in because mm-hmm. now that i was no longer this nomad and and going around the world it, i wanted to try and fit in because i didn't know what else to do and that's where i understood i don't have to fit in 
I have to find my path, my alternative path. Yeah. And it still means being part of society. I'm not I'm not like into being ostracized. It's, that's not what I'm looking for. Um, but when I say it doesn't have to be that way, it's indeed figuring out how does your job, how does your career fit into your overall life vision? When you're 18, look back on your life. What do you want to remember? What do you want to be proud of? What is going to make you smile? Do you know that life vision? And when I say life vision, it's not like that question in interviews, where will you be in five years? It's right. how do you want to feel in five years? Mm. Do you want to like who you are when you look at yourself in the mirror? Who would that person be? And it's defining that kind of person because that will inform decisions that we take today. It's kind of like a North Star, that life vision, then figuring out your values and figuring out what internal saboteurs, the negative internal chat that we've got that's holding us back, like those fear questions, the money questions, the hyperachieving questions, because we're trying to prove something. Um, the people-pleasing ones who can't say no, so also get overwhelmed and burn out. So hyperachievers and people-pleasers are high on the list of burnouts. Yeah, you just, again, you just, you're just queuing up my questions so perfectly, because <laughs> my next question is, um, all right, so preparing for this interview, I ask you to provide a list of keywords that convey the message you'd like to discuss around burnout. And one of the keywords that you listed was people-pleasers. So for me, this has been a lifelong, lifelong struggle, so I can relate for sure. So, you know, how do you think people pleasers are especially prone to burnout? Hmm. So I, I like to think I'm better at it. Again, through my 15, 16, hold on, almost 18 year journey since 22 um, of figuring out who I am. And once you, okay, now let me dial back a sec. People pleasers put others first, others needs others agendas because that's the way they're wired and it is a quest for approval and being liked and and being included and pleasers are very it's very difficult for them to say no mm -hmm. when they either they don't know when they want to say no or because it's an it's a reflex and it's just the way they're they're wired or they don't have the confidence to say no because fear of rejection um and so they they take on work and they take on work and at home as well they 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 very often do a whole lot of stuff and outside of work and personal so they're the yes people and don't put their own needs first yeah and in long term that can lead to resentment frustration mm -hmm. lack of inner balance because there's no me time because me time equals selfishness yeah. And feeling guilty because we're spending time on ourselves when we could be, should be, others are expecting us to do things for them because we trained them that we will. So it's all, and this all comes back when we, again, through coaching, that's how I learned about all this stuff. It's who are you? What are your needs? Mm -hmm. Self-care does not mean selfish. You can do two things in parallel. Put the oxygen mask from the airplane analogy on you first mm -hmm. before you can help others. What is your life vision? What do you want in life? How are you going to achieve that? And how can you carve out time for yourself whilst helping others? Because you are that kind of person and you enjoy doing that. But at work, you're the one that managers give projects to because they know you'll say yes and they know you'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. That can definitely lead to burnout, like in exactly how you just described that latter point, which is that other people start to take advantage of that perhaps. Um, and they, 
they know that you're that you'll just fall in line with that and and yeah. you know the more people pleasers just accept these things without stepping up and and saying anything it it will lead to burnout that's what happened with me i mean i've i don't know it's a sense of duty thing or obligation or perhaps my vision for how i thought as a father and husband like what my role was was mm. to provide and take care of my family you know i i kind of you know went my whole life putting that first yeah and i mean only you know and i'll tell you it's only really been in the last year where I started to learn, you know what? I actually have a right to be happy. I have a right to to take care of myself. Um, so, absolutely. I, yeah. And when you become happy, there's this incredible, beautiful, magical ripple effect on all the people around you. Exactly. You model what it means to set boundaries, to take care of yourself, to be happy, to be fulfilled, to laugh, to dream, and others want to follow that right so and so it really does start within uh with and we train others of how to what to expect from us so when when people please or say yes 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 or hyper achievers say go 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 more 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 well others expect that yep. and so how do you get out of that cycle because you train them to and then that resentment can start building up until you explode and burn out yeah or or what mental health declines what does it take for you to speak up and say hey what about me yeah i'm curious what this looks like you know for you and in your clients that you coach um because i'll relate to you that you know when i started to ask for my ask permission and i know that's probably even a wrong statement yeah, but you're smiling as not, you say it <laughs> well not necessarily <laughs> ask permission even though that's probably what i was doing but you know just i didn't even really know how to approach my wife just to say like hey listen i I kind of, like I'm at zero percent. I would I, I really kind of need some time right now. Like mm. I didn't know how to do it. It was it was yeah. difficult. And so, you know, I I still was letting myself get to the zero percent and then kind of mm -hmm. like having a little mini meltdown. And um, so I'm curious, you know, when you're coaching people, how do you teach them to recognize that the signs to have that self-awareness mm. and then also the communication part of yeah of just informing people around you when you need your own space and time. Yes. So what I do now actually is I combine. So when I worked in corporate, I was in corporate communications. So I, I worked comms has always been my world, probably even before I started working, it's just something in me. Um, and it became better through work and then coaching on self-awareness. So I observed so much and I'll get to the client part in a sec, but when we observe organizations, how leaders communicate or miscommunicate informs so much of what happens within the, the whole company, the culture. I worked with CEOs who, it's a generation that I call old white dinosaurs, mm -hmm. <laughs> the classic stereotype 50, 60 year old white guy who thinks, who has a massive ego and who thinks that the world revolves around him. Mm -hmm. And has temper, a, a terrible temper, and doesn't care how it impacts others. It's his way or the highway. And I've seen leaders yell and put people down and not care about it whatsoever. And then two minutes later, they're calm as a lamb and super nice. And this mm -hmm. hot, cold attitude, it's terrible. It's toxic. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, it's getting better. Things are evolving. But so communication is so important. Um, 
In terms of clients, it all starts with that vision setting. So first of all, I start with an exercise called the Wheel of Life, where mm-hmm. we really look at every aspect of the client's life, meaning, yes, work, personal life, relationships, friends, um, physical environment, uh, physical environment, no, the, the, where, do you, where you live, sports, mm-hmm. hobbies, fun, spirituality, all these things that they, I ask them to rank to grade from one to 10. How is this showing up for you in your life right now? How fulfilled are you? And that already informs them a lot of where are maybe areas that are not working for them. Um, and then there's that balance. Okay, maybe now you've got a bit of an explanation or an insight, a snapshot of where you are right now. And we can then start working on where, which areas are we going to focus on on this current coaching journey for you to make it better. Then we work on that life vision. And when I say that, as I mentioned before, it's about how do you want to feel? So I take them through different exercises, guided visualizations, questions mm-hmm. about how do you envision your life? And I'm not saying I don't want to know what your job will be, your title will be. I don't want to know where you're going to live. I want to know who you are going to be. Mm-hmm. So we work on the values. and All these things then create their boundaries because then they know better how and when to say yes or no because when they're overstepped they know this is not going to benefit them but they now understand why so it makes it a bit easier to speak up and communicate because now you can explain why you're saying no or why you need help or why you need me time Mm -hmm. which is very for everybody important but pleasers even more so they feel they need to justify themselves so when you can put it into context and say hey I'm, I need this time for me right now because my values or this part of my, this area of my life is not fulfilled or this is not leading me to my life vision. So it just gives confidence. That's what it's kind of like an enlightenment moment mm-hmm. of understanding who they are at a deeper level. When did they get off path to feel the way they're feeling right now? And it gives hope again. It gives a direction. It gives this kind of North Star feeling of right i now know when to say yes what actions to take what decisions to take to fall back into that line that direction that i really want and need for myself yeah and that makes communication then easier speaking up becomes easier because you have a ground to stand on you know who you are who you want to be and that just makes it easier whereas before when you don't know your vision your values your strengths when to delegate all these things it's it's very difficult to say no because you don't know why you why would you say no you've handled it so far so all right let's keep going oh yeah i can 100 percent relate to that <laughs> all right so in describing yourself on your website you use the following terms and i i love these so i definitely want this is why i'm bringing it up i, I think this is this points to you know the the fun in life that you've said you know that that's really what it comes down to for you all right so in identifying yourself people lover relationship builder, empathetic optimist, animal cuddler, loyal nomad, dancing mermaid, dream catcher. So I have another multiple part question for you. Um, you know, as I mentioned, um, you've already described yourself here today that, uh, you know, the focus for you is on fun and just happiness, right? Um, you've described yourself as a girl who just wants to have fun like Cindy. Um, so I love that <laughs> reference when I read that. I can see how being a loyal nomad and a dancing mermaid reflect that. So tell us a little bit about how you use play and having fun to help prevent burnout for yourself. Mm, 
I love that question. Let me just take a moment to think. Whenever fun was no longer present, I burned out. In a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I had that realization at 22 that I didn't know what happiness meant to me and I didn't like who I was, and I went really went out on that quest to change that. Fun. I don't know. It's just what is life without fun? Mm-hmm. What is life when you're just following obligations and paying the bills? What are we here for? That's right. always been, but I think that's always been part of who I am. As a girl, I wanted to have fun. I was dancing around and, and just, I love making people smile. I love connecting people. I love being connected. And I need it in every, in every single one of my days. If it's not present, okay. If you understand why it's not present right now, there's there are reasons. There's mourning. There's all the there's health. There's of course there are days and, and weeks. But when you know it's temporary, when you know it doesn't make you who you are, it doesn't mean that it's completely out of your life. Okay, you can justify, you can explain. But what is life without fun? Mm-hmm. I don't. It, it's something I do not get. That that vow. So another vow and promise I had made to myself was to live a life. A no regret life for one but one where the day i have kids and grandkids i can tell them stories without opening a book mm-hmm. i wanted to live i wanted to enjoy life i still want to all the time and so bringing fun is being silly dance like no one's watching when i coach people we we laugh there are emotions there's crying there's anger there's laughter it's it's really showing up and i, I can even hear it in my energy and my voice as i talk <laughs> about fun Honestly, what is life without fun? Why would you choose that? And it is a choice. It is a choice. Life can be really, really bad at times. Yet you can always bring a smile to it. You can always bring a bit of spark to it. It's a choice. Mm-hmm. It's a perspective. And it influences our energy, our mood, our decisions, everything. But this is where I mean, I've come such a long way because in my 20s, I had all these demons I had the, that terrible temper, um, the all the things that I was trying to shift out of but didn't have understanding of. And I regularly felt like a dark cloud descending on me where I would lose control completely of my entire being and I would lash out and be nasty. Mm-hmm. hurt people I loved. And then once it was out of me, I was like, all right, good, I'm good. And didn't understand where other people were, with the, the people that were on the receiving end, it wasn't over for them. And all these things, I don't want that anymore. I don't want that. And it's long gone, thank goodness. It just is, it's it's a choice. It's very hard to get out of on our own. Yes, you can read the books, you can watch the videos, you can listen to the podcasts. Um, But getting that outside perspective to help you probe and, and just dive into why is this happening? What is triggering you? Where does this stem from? What is it saying about you? And then it's choice, choice, choice. What do you choose? Do you choose to stay in that? Do you choose to get out of it? Stop blaming others. You, what do you choose today? And I choose one. Yeah. Um, there's a couple things that came up to me as you were, as you were just talking, um, you know, cause I can relate to what you're saying. And I think, you know, in those moments where, you know, I, I let the, challenges kind of take over Mm. there was a storyline happening like in my mind that things were working against me that i was a victim you know that this is how things were i can't have fun because i have 
too many responsibilities. So, you know, that, that's one thing I wanted to touch on with you is just, you know, how, how the storyline sometimes plays out in our head and we forget and we don't allow Mm -hmm. ourselves to have fun because we think we're living by a narrative. And then the second, um, you know, part of this that I wanted to mention was, you know, simply just thinking that we're a victim, you know, thinking that, thinking that we are our emotions, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I've heard this come up repeatedly and I've, if it's played out for me where, you know, where there's been periods of time that were challenging, I thought that my, my anger defined me. So yeah, yeah if you want to kind of touch on those two parts. Yeah. Not a proud moment when we realize and choose that our anger defines us, huh? Mm, no. <laughs> it's not, it's not attractive. So yeah, the victim thing, I was, I hid behind it for years. Um, blaming my father for why I was the way I was, why I was mm-hmm. lashing out, why I was making choices. And I remember my partner at the time who was on the receiving end of those dark moments one day turned around and said, you are not your father. You are an adult. How long do you want to keep this dragging him along with you? You can choose to be different. And that, oh my word, oh my God, this was the first time in my life I realized I have a choice. I think I was 28, 29. I had been dragging my father along with me. I was trying to distance myself, but I didn't know how to. I didn't have tools. I didn't have guides. I didn't know about coaching back then. When he said that to me, I was like, (gasps) wow. And that rattled me a lot. But it also, so there was that fear of, oh my goodness, who am I then if I'm not this person anymore? Right. Because that's also scary. Who are you when you start shifting out of that identity? Because you don't, again, don't have that life vision yet. Who do you want to become? Who do you want to start growing towards, stepping into? So the whole victim thing, the blaming others, it's hiding behind what we know. It's hiding behind an, an identity. And all of this is called, the, it's, it's the saboteurs. And like the hyperachiever, the people pleaser, the victim, there are, there, there's a concept, another training that I went through called positive intelligence mm-hmm. that describes that. And there's a, actually a free online assessment. If you go to positiveintelligence.com, you can do a survey of about, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. And it will rank your saboteurs because we all have saboteurs. It's those internal negative voices that we created as children or teenagers to protect us from real or imagined physical or emotional harm. Mm-hmm. So there was a reason. And then as, adult, as adults, we were never taught to unlearn them when we, when we were able to defend ourselves. And that is what informs our narratives. That is the storyline we tell ourselves that we hide behind because they've become so familiar that we don't realize they're negative or toxic or holding us back or making us act in that way. And every negative emotion is linked, triggered by saboteurs. And the ones that are like, I know my top ones are avoider, controller. So they play against each other. It's just, there's this whole world going up inside our head that we're not necessarily aware of. And that's what informs our storyline until we are taught or understand that we can change that, that it doesn't mean that it has to define us. Right. So there's that whole saboteur kind of work happening. And the victim one is a huge one. It's very toxic because we use it um, to gain attention, affection, but it's manipulative and it's blaming mm-hmm. others rather than it's giving our power away. Yeah. So again, what is life when you're giving your power away? Exactly. Stop. Learn to stop. 
step into who you want to be. You have so much more power. You're so much more than blaming others. Yep. Um, and I, I, I've had a guest on this show. Um, her name is Samantha J. I had her on, um, a couple of episodes ago. Um, she wrote this book called stand up, speak up. Mm-hmm. And she, she basically said the same thing that you just said. She, she described that, that saboteur action as, you know, within us as being this sabotaging drama king or queen that, you know, is just out to do away with the positive work that we're doing. Right. Um, she didn't use those words, but it's just the storyline that plays out that, uh, that we spend a lot of time resisting. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, at least for her, it was just, you know, recognizing what is the sabotaging drama king or queen within me trying to inform me of. And instead of resisting that, that energy, it's like having a self-awareness to it and then having, having an awareness to, to, to look at what it's trying to teach us. So I thought that was interesting that you touched on that as well. It's super interesting. And there's ways, and this is probably the main work I do with clients um, is overcoming those. So starting to be aware of them, figuring out when, when are you triggered? When do they show up? What are the kind of sentences they say to you? What energy and emotions do they trigger? And then understanding in this situation, are they serving me or are they sabotaging me? Because sometimes they are serving you, but you have to know when, because again, it comes down to choice. Everything's down to choice. And then we work on that. That's what's called positive intelligence. It's rewiring the brain to positive thoughts. And that takes time and it takes work. It's super worth it. But it's kind of like when you go to the gym, you can't go once and do crunches and expect a six pack. All these decades that we've spent entertaining those negative self-sabotaging thoughts that keep us in our comfort zone because they show up whenever we're trying to stretch ourselves or grow or start taking risks or a leap of faith or change that's when they come up because they want to keep us safe yeah and overcoming them a simple trick for me is instead of leaning into them and thinking of all the ways that things can go wrong ask yourself what's the best that can happen like that and just that alone is so powerful because it tunes into all the amazingness that can happen and that will inform your energy or emotions and it gives you a bit of a kick in terms of let me try this out yeah i'd like to shift gears a little bit and uh circle back to the work that you're doing today as a coach um i I understand Mm -hmm. you do one-on-one coaching group coaching and leadership coaching and that you also focus on empowering women so tell us a little bit more about that if you will Thank you. Yeah. Um, so yes, I, interestingly, I have started going back to organizations and corporate. Uh, I needed my time out. And mm-hmm. now I just think through my experience, the communications experience, and then my burnouts and so on. I work with them really closely now, either in groups or leadership individuals or just uh, so we co-create programs. And it's all about ret- retaining clients or uh, retaining talent. Mm -hmm. You don't have to burn out and leave like I did. Once you start understanding why you're in this job and remembering why you got in there in the first place, it's about balancing things out and the the organization doesn't have to lose their top talents. Mm -hmm. It's about how are the leaders communicating? How So all these things, I really work closely with organizations now and it's become so fun because I bring in an external point of view and and my expertise now in methodologies and it's fun. Um, And with individuals it's it's depending on what it is that they want to work through right now and it can be burnout it can be life vision it can be uh, confidence it's so there's a whole bunch of topics um 
And with women, I'm just so passionate. So I worked in investment banking for a few years and it's a very male dominated industry. Mm -hmm. um, I also saw how my mother was impacted by my father's personality and character. I saw, I see girlfriends, I see female colleagues, all this not speaking up, the boundaries, everything we were taught and told as girls to not make waves, to fit in, to mm -hmm. um, think before we speak. And it has influenced women's careers massively, massively. There are even female leaders who tiptoe around the block. Mm -hmm. And it makes my blood boil because yeah. it doesn't have to be that way. And it works. So I work, I've got a program, a group program specifically for women, where we touch on all the topics, the recurring topics that women have been coming to me for over the years, which has to do with the sabotaging, the money mindset, women and money, a huge topic, mm -hmm. um, self-care, a huge topic, communication. So all these things that we work through together and I, I support organizations with that. I do it privately as well. Just so that to give women a better chance at speaking up and reaching their full potential while staying true to who they are and working with men in, in raising their awareness about how their communication style and how they show up might be impacting women around them without them even knowing. So mm -hmm. it's just, it's kind of like a full circle when it comes to a female empowerment. Yeah. Great. Um, as we wrap up here today, you know, where can people find out more about your work um, and get connected with you? So I'm very present on LinkedIn. Um, so if you search Audrey Zander, I'm quite lucky that there are not many Audrey Zanders in the world. <laughs> so Audrey Zanders at A-N-D-E-R and my website, AudreyZander.com, email mail at AudreyZander.com. So those are just, just reach out. We I offer a complimentary 45-minute exploration call where we get to meet each other and just co-create whatever it is that I might support you with. Well, from a, a place of low self-worth to burnout and bore out to now coaching and dedicating yourself to helping others, I know the work that you do today is having a positive impact. So Audrey, thank you for being my guest here today and for sharing your journey with us. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you. This was really interesting and I can't believe I, that first question <laughs> brought you right back to age 22 and the why. So, yeah. And I think that also, just to finish off, if people are unhappy today, think back. What happened? Why is your storyline the way it is? Me, yeah. it was my father. For others, it's, it's something else that might have happened. But it's okay to detach yourself from that and write a new chapter. What would the title be? Yeah, always a new chapter. There's always a future to reinvent and and write the chapter and just to know that we are the author of our own book. Nobody else is writing our story for us. No, we might think they are, but that's again giving our power away. Take it back. Take it, it back. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Well, with that we'll close. Again, thank you so much. Thanks, Adam. Audrey Zander spent 13 years in the corporate communications world, lived in 10 countries, is trilingual, ticked off her bucket list by the age of 35, and is now an entrepreneur empowering others to seek and live a fulfilled and balanced life via coaching. Having enjoyed several different lives with many ups and downs, professional, emotional, and health challenges, and getting through them all with a fierce lust for life and happiness, and a lot of self-reflection, and a desire to grow, Audrey is now passionate about helping others go for their dreams and create the life and career they want and deserve. Audrey is a professionally certified coach accredited by the International Coaching Federation, 
coaching individuals privately and leaders and teams and organizations. You can read more about Audrey on our website, eiqmediallc.com slash the change. Our theme song and sound engineering was provided by Shane Sufridi. You can listen to more of Shane's music at www.shanesufridi.com. If you have a story to share about burnout, or if you want to tell us what you think about our podcast, send me an email at thechange at eiqmediallc.com. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on The Change. The Change is produced and distributed by EIQ Media, LLC. Elevate your emotional IQ with podcasts and content focused on leadership, mental health, entrepreneurship, and more. 